I'm San Francisco Chronicle Editor-in-Chief Audrey Cooper, and today on Fifth and Mission, we'll talk to reporter Matthias Gaffney. Matthias spoke to me after filing his story on what gun advocates called Freedom Week, a time between March 29th and April 5th, when it was legal to buy high-capacity magazines in California. Now, this is a state that has repeatedly tried to ban these, so we'll talk about what happened during the week and why the fight over these magazines is only just beginning. That's today on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back. Here's my conversation with Matthias Gaffney. Hey, Matthias, welcome to Fifth and Mission. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. So your story right now is being edited upstairs by Damien, which is why he can't do this podcast with you. So we're going to talk about high-capacity magazines. What are high-capacity magazines? Yeah, so this is 10 or more bullets, 10 or more rounds in a clip um, that you can load into a gun. And obviously, this has been a very controversial topic, um, especially involving mass shootings where um, a gunman won't have to reload, um, you know, after after 10 shots um, if he has, you know, 35 mag um, clip in there. And what kind of guns do you put these in? could be pistols, rifles, just about anything um, has a clip that you can add you know, more than 10 rounds, and, and many states allow that. Many states other than California, which has always had pretty strict rules on, on guns and high-capacity magazines. So we were talking beforehand about when the state really started focusing in on regulating these. And it was 2000, you said, when the first ban on high-capacity magazines went into effect. Is that right? Right. That's when you were not allowed to sell it in the state of California anymore. And then in 2016, after the San Bernardino attacks, we went even further in California to regulate those. What what happened then? Yeah, the voters passed Prop 63. So that initiative went a step further where it prohibited the possession of a high-capacity magazine. And that was supposed to kind of close a loophole. Um, and, uh, you know, people in the past had owned these before 2000 and kind of were grandfathered in. So um, it was trying to stop people from uh, being able to use these at all. And um, that was actually L- Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom at the time kind of championed that. So so to clarify, first there was a law that says you can't buy them. And then comes the law that says not only can you not buy them, but you can't possess them anymore either. But some people were grandfathered into that? Yeah, if you bought these magazines before 2000, uh, you would have been grandfathered in after that ban. However, after the passage of Prop 63 in 2016, those high-capacity magazines would have had to have been destroyed or sold out of state. You would have had to get rid of them. So that ruling, though, on possession, my understanding is that's still being decided in the courts right now. Yeah, so the the judge who just the federal judge from San Diego, he just ruled on basically both of these. Um, he ruled both of them unconstitutional, the 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 barring of selling them and the barring of possessing them. And he was um, basically uh, saying this is a constitutional right to protect yourself, um, and these are important for people um, who are um, looking to protect their own home. Now, this is important, too, because one of the tactics, as I understand it, of the anti-gun activists have been not to focus on the guns themselves, but to focus on the bullets. 
And so, so this is actually a really important ruling where he says it's kind of all the same thing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's you know, gun control uh, advocates, especially when it comes to mass shootings, are, um, are particularly interested in reducing the number of um, rounds per clip. And basically they, they point to a number of instances where there's a mass shooting, the gunman has spent all, let's say, 33 bullets and they're reloading, oftentimes that is the window of opportunity for people to tackle the person and stop it, people to run away, escape. Um, you know, I talked to the, the Gifford Center, um, and uh, they always point out with Gabby Giffords, um, who was shot in Arizona um, by a gunman, he spent his entire 33-bullet round, uh, sorry, his entire 33-bullet magazine and was reloading um, when he was tackled and people took his other magazines. And they also point out that, you know, when we talk about 10 or more bullets, the 13th bullet he fired that day killed this nine-year-old girl who was at that um, shopping center that day. Right. So a really emotional issue for everybody, too. So the judge makes a ruling that these laws are unconstitutional. What is the immediate effect of that law? Well, when it was when he made that order on March 29th, um, it essentially said you can buy now these magazines in California. And that's last two decades, gun owners have been told they can't do that. And so right then it opened, um, and for a week it was um, allowed where you could sell it. And um, as I learned in reporting this last couple of days, is there was, it became a frenzy amongst gun owners in California to get these before as some some put it in forums, that the Ninth Circuit of Appeals gets their, their fingernails on this case. Um, but it was on April 5th where the judge said by 5 p.m. today, so the Friday after first ruling, that you can no longer buy these. Basically, he's putting a stay on his, his own order until it's um, kind of resolved in the appeals process. Right. So there was a week there where these were something that you could buy. What did gun advocates call this week? They called it Freedom Week. And I mean, there was sales um, at gun stores. Beretta, the, the handgun um, uh, company, put out a 20% sales um, celebration week sales. Uh, online retailers had websites shut down because there was so much business. Uh, the, the California Rifle and Pistol Association, which was the one who actually um, filed this lawsuit um, to stop this ban, they estimated hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of these magazines were sold to California residents during that week. So uh, maybe maybe we can explain what exactly a magazine looks like, too, for anyone who's listening who doesn't um, own a gun or know a lot about guns. Um, I grew up with guns in Kansas, but I don't know that I know. Can you reuse a magazine? Like, what what does it actually look like? Do you need to get a new one every time you use it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, if you can imagine... A pistol, and at the handle, you you pop in um, a long extended rectangle that's got bullets in it. Um, and a lot of uh, uh, gun owners will argue with even the term "high capacity" magazine because a lot of these magazines are built for even the ones that sold in California. Um, you know, let with ten or less bullets, they're sold with the capacity to hold more bullets. It's just it's not able to they have they have a prevention piece in there that doesn't let you have more than that so technically um 
the magazines that they're now selling are the normal ones that other everyone else gets. It's not going to look any different necessarily than what the Californias have been getting, um, but you can just add more bullets to it. You can um, reload them and, uh, yeah, And you can use the magazine again and again. Yeah. So you characterize this as um, a buying frenzy. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is, um, you know, these guns are, or these magazines are available in other states. What was preventing people before then to just go into Nevada and get their high capacity magazine and bring it back into the state of California? Yeah, that's technically illegal. Um, But, you know, I talked to a federal law enforcement source who said that is done all the time. It's incredibly common. Again, there's no serial numbers on these magazines. If you bought it in Las Vegas and then drove back to San Francisco to your home, there's nothing indicating on the on the, the magazine that it was purchased there. It's basically if if law enforcement ever came to ask you about it and you um, you know confessed that you brought it in another state, then you could get in trouble. But it's just something that's really impossible to enforce. So how do you reconcile with that? that law that's very difficult to enforce with this buying frenzy too, is it actually interest in the product or was it mostly a political act of, of protest, do you think? I think it was a little of both. Um, a lot of these gun owners wanted this um, type of ammunition that they, I think it's a lot of times when it's something that you can't get, uh, you're interested in having that opportunity um, where you know you may not have it in the future. Um, and it's uh, also, uh, you know, on some of these uh, gun forums, people were saying, uh, you know, that's great. You got these magazines for yourself, but now why don't you spend some of that money donating to, you know, the NRA or the CRPA to fight these causes? And so it definitely gets political as well. And it's, and it's important to note, too, that during um, this window, while, uh, you know, that's been closed, that window now, it's also still that the people who have those now can possess those because the possession ban is on hold. And so basically these people are free to go to a gun range, for instance, and start firing off these these um, uh, extended clips as much as they want. Not everybody you spoke to for the story was uh, not all the gun store owners were willing to to sell these clips during this time. You want to tell us about the gun store in Castro Valley? Yeah, so... A lot of the frenzy happened, as I'm told, online because they were ramped up. They had the inventory because they're selling to, you know, other states that allow it. Um, uh, so they were ready to go, whereas the brick-and-mortar private California gun shops where they weren't able to sell these, with the one caveat, they have been able to sell to law enforcement this whole time. So some had, like, a small stash on hand that they were able to sell to regular customers that week. But for the most part... They had to make the decision. This judge makes this call on a Friday. Um, they can't make these orders till the next Monday. You know, am I going to make this order and I get, you know, three pallets worth of this ammunition and, and by Thursday the judge has placed a place to stay on it and I can't sell it and I'm stuck with this for, you know, potentially forever. So they had to make that call and, and basically the, the few that I talked to said they, they – Basically, it was a boon to everyone except California gun dealers who um, didn't really make out on on this buying frenzy. So is there any recreational justification that the gun advocates use for for needing these high-capacity magazines? With a lot of them, you don't – oftentimes you get – you can't get past the, you know, I don't need to explain um, my constitutional right to buy these things. 
It's not the bill of wants. It's not the bill of needs. It's the bill of rights. So there's, there's that contingent who won't even go there about why I need this. Um, they just said it's my constitutional right and I should be able to get it no matter what. So then you have the people, yeah, there's the sporting people who, um, who want it just for the ease of not having to, you know, reload. And then there's also the people who, this is probably the main argument, is the self-defense. And uh, that was really hit upon in the judge's ruling. I mean, he literally opens his ruling listing four examples of um, women who were attacked in their homes and they were protecting their family and they had their guns out and they fired all their bullets they had in their, in their um, you know, 10 or less bullets that they had in their California magazines. And that didn't solve the problem in one way or another in these examples. And so he uses that as protecting your home and your hearth um, as you need to have this ex- uh, as many bullets as you wish as a, you know, according to the Constitution. So that's the main argument most people use. So one of the other things that's interesting about the story, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, it's being edited right now for uh, the front page of tomorrow's paper and in our homepage. You weren't a gun expert before you started in on this story. Um, We decided earlier in the week to look into it. Talk a little bit about the process of going from, you know, a, a somewhat casual reporter's understanding of guns to becoming like an expert who can write about it today. Yeah, um... My, my, I think when my wife took me to meet her father for the first time, he took me out with like this little tiny gauged shotgun and gave me target practice, maybe to intimidate me a little bit. I don't know. but <laughs> That's an interesting but, first meeting. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have very limited use of firearms personally, but I've covered it somewhat in the past. And so, yeah, you, it's, it's, you know, typically with stories, you know, uh, Reporters have to become kind of instant experts and, and have to kind of really, before you even start writing, you're just trying to read as much as you can. You read the court decision, you read the past articles explaining, um, you know, the, pro- the timeline of how this went through. I went on to, you know, social media to try to hear what everyone's talking about. Um, and then you talk to the experts and you basically have them walk you through what this whole scenario is because they are, you know, they live this and they definitely are the people who know all the details. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a process for you kind of feeling comfortable about the topic to where you can start writing about it, I think. And how many people did you have to call before you were convinced that this was a buying frenzy? That was, I talked to probably a handful of people, gun dealers, um, lobbyists, um, I went on online chat forums um, to look at that. The the plaintiff in the case, the, the this lobbyist group for California um, uh, gun rights, uh, they put out a press release saying it was a frenzy um, and, and quoting numbers about you know hundreds of thousands of magazines sold. I went on to trade magazines um, who are, believe it or not, there's ammunition trade magazines who write just about ammunition. And I went in there and I looked up and they were, you know, very tuned into that community and we're talking to gun dealers across the country um, and uh, gun users. And they were obviously saying that, you know, quoting numbers about how much they'd sold and websites going down. And so, you know, it's a kind of combination of all that to to come up with that. Um, and when away. you when you call people and tell them that you want to talk about this issue, what kind of reaction do you normally get? When you say you're with the San Francisco Chronicle and you're asking about a story about gun rights and gun control, it is an incredibly hot topic. Um, you know, that's not just when you're interviewing people, that's after you write the story, you hear from both sides and 
Rarely are they either side happy with the story. Um, it's just such a passionate issue. Um, I assume you're saying that gun rights advocates assume that because we're in San Francisco, which is a more liberal part of the country, that we're going to come to the story with a point of view. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, in some ways they are dance around that and other ways they're very open about, about that. But um, What do you tell them when they say that? You know, I try to be as fair as possible and give them a chance to, you know, say their piece um, and to tell them, you know, this is um, a story that's incredibly complex and, you know, all sides deserve to be heard on it. And um, I try to act, you know, intellectually curious about what they're going to tell me, which I am, you know, it's, it's, you know, me personally, I don't have a ton of friends who are, you know, actively sportsmen or go hunting or anything like that. So, you know, I just, I find it kind of interesting talking to people who do do that and it's a different perspective. And, and so I think once they start talking to you and they realize you're asking questions that, you know, you're trying to get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff, like they start appreciating that and they open up a little bit. And one of the things we have to do to show, you know, a human side, but also visually show these stories is get a photographer into some of these gun stores. When you ask an owner if they would be okay with us sending a photographer, do you get a warm reception generally or is that hard? It can be tricky. I mean, it can be tricky, frankly, for any story to get a photograph just for obvious privacy reasons, especially the age of social media and whatnot, you know, um, and a hot button issue. Do you want your name and face out there? Um, in this particular story, I found a gun owner who, with the help of a gun lobbyist who um, has been on the media before. Um, so he's kind of used to the, the whole drill. And I told him, you know, we just want to come to your store. And um, he didn't have any in stock, any of the magazines we're talking about in stock anymore. But he had his from his own personal um, collection. He has a... Um, a um, conceal, uh, you can get a high magazine conceal, uh, to carry uh, permit as well. So he has that. So he's legally allowed to have it. So he agreed to show it to a photographer and, um, he was pretty, you know, easy to deal with. Is there anything else you want to tell us about the story that struck you as interesting? Uh, it'll be interesting where it goes, um, in the future. Uh, I think everyone thinks it's going to maybe head to the Supreme court, um, the ninth circuit, in its history of kind of ruling on guns cases, oftentimes comes down on favor of gun control. But, you know, the, the lobbyists here said they'd take it to the Supreme Court. And that's where, you know, I had one um, gun control advocate say, like, you know, I'm pretty confident with the court of public opinion and where they see gun control going and, and how guns need to be, um, you know, um, have some common sense rules about them. But he says he stays up at night thinking about what the new um, Supreme Court might do uh, when in these cases make its way to the, to that new uh, court with all the new appointees. Right. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to reporter Matthias Gaffney, his editor, Damian Bulwa, and thank you all for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.